Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. It's Sunday, June 4th. This is episode 10, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing pretty well, Brennan. How about you? Well, now that I'm back upright, I'm feeling pretty good. I had my every three years flu bug kick me in the ass. <laughs> And uh, it was an ugly scene for a little while there, but I, I'm glad you're no longer, you know, producing horrible substances out of your body. That's a good thing. Oh no, I still do that. Oh, I'm just not having to spend most of my days on the couch. <laughs> That's good. It's the energy thing, isn't it? Though. It's, oh, it's brutal. Yeah, brutal. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm normally an unstoppable cannonball of a fury, pointless yeah. rage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, lately, I've you know been a, a sad, couch-stricken man catching up on old episodes of TV. Now, do you think that is a direct result of your trip, or...? I don't know. I mean, I started feeling ill in Vailmont. Right. And now I don't know if it was that, but I fought the bastard off, if it was, <laughs> for the better part of a week. Because uh, I got back Wednesday, and it wasn't really until Monday I got sick. Yeah. Well, and going home to your hometown can often be draining, too. Well, as we'll discover, I brushed up against some stuff that was not very nice. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And, I uh, mean, cool for us. Not cool <laughs> <for you>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good for me because then I get to say, oh, no, it wasn't just a vacation. It was an adventure. <laughs> it was research? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. But uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to be home. Of course, shortly after our last show, I hit the road and went east for a while, visiting friends and family in Revelstoke, Calgary, Edmonton, before coming home Well. Via a shorter route than I'd intended. Well, I saw the picture, and you actually brought some other stories home too, right? I sure did. Uh, But first, let's talk about the real story. That titanic battle that shook the airwaves (laughs) and will become to be known as this generation's rumble in the jungle. (laughs) What? You mean when I was on a different radio show than you were at the same time, and how it's the, what, the Foreman-Ali fight? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Because, you know, people listen to the radio, uh, you know, things go on the radio at the same time all the time. There are multiple (laughs) radio stations just in Victoria broadcasting now. I know that. But we're telling the story, so why not craft a legend out of it, right? (laughs) Would you rather be just another schmuck on the radio, or do you want to be the golden-voiced colossus who f***ed the universe till its husband came home? Oh, my God, I think all that smoke inhalation went to your brain. Hey, spoilers. (laughs) And if anything, it was a steady diet of chicken wings, hamburgers, and beer. (laughs) Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either. Anyways, how was your time on the real radio, Dr. Killjoy, (laughs) Andy? You know what? It it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I was quite stressed about it. The host was awesome she was really really nice it went from 9 30 until one o'clock in the morning and i will reveal to you a secret truth that i will not tell anywhere else oh uh around midnight when the caller started coming in i was lying on my bed and i may have drifted off for just a second <laughs> you I, fell asleep I, on live radio yeah, yeah. but uh, they weren't talking to me they were talking to her <laughs> I can't believe and, you did well, that. because all i could do with the callers was sort of interject with the oh that's upsetting. How, <laughs> how does that make you feel? Uh, you know, like a cheap therapist. So when I actually realized my eyes had closed, I awoke with a start and realized that, okay, no, I know where we are in the story, so I can't have been asleep that long. Oh. And interjected with a, oh, wow. And so no one knew. Yeah, aside from the thousands of people across the North America who are hearing this soft... <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> no, no, not there, not no, there. I don't think anyone knew. And afterwards, the host was really nice and, and talked to me about great radio, and she'd love to be back. Yeah, well, you so. did have a very handsome call-in. 
Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> well, I mean, they, the previous caller, I, I mean, I genuinely felt bad for him. He had told a very, very sad story, but uh, it was a bit bit of a downer. So it was good that you called in and kind of, you know, brought the show back to its center. <laughs> well, I was I was on the radio, of course, myself. I did uh, from 10 to 12 on Revelstoke Jim's right. Canadian how did, content. How did, how did that go? It was a good time. Yeah, we just did uh, two hours, but you know, sort of a combination of music and talk. Only two hours. <laughs> I know we're not the uh, Iron Men that you are. There you go. But uh, af- afterwards, I I was sitting in the parking lot of the Shell because I remembered. Oh yeah, Ian's on the radio. Right. I thought I should call. Should I call in? <laughs> I should call in. <laughs> And did they put you on right away? Like, were they, did no. you have to tell who you were or? No, I didn't have to tell anyone who I was. Wow. Uh, they just. So they will let anyone on that they show. They will literally <laughs> let anyone on that show. I, basically you just dial in and then you hear the radio show. Right. And I didn't say anything because I thought, oh God, what if, what if I'm live? Right. And I crack a fart or something. <laughs> uh, and then finally, I, I think she said, new caller line, you're on the air. Uh, but I, it was kind of garbled. Oh. So I couldn't fully understand it, but there's just silence. And I went, hello? You know, I really made an impression. Yes. Is what I'm saying. You entered the room with a bang. Like a schmuck. Like you normally do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so as we mentioned earlier, on this episode, we're going to be talking about some stories Brennan discovered while on the road, and I'm going to share a few along the way. Yes, sir. So get comfortable and keep listening because we'll be right back. And we'll find you if you stop. <laughs> oh, God, we'll find you. <laughs> Welcome back. So uh, the first story I found was in my hometown of Revelstoke. Uh, and Revelstoke is a small town of about 8,000 people in eastern BC. Uh, though it's on Canada's main highway, it's it's a remote place with two of the four roads leading from the town dead ending in reservoirs and the other two often closed by avalanches in the winter and mudslides in the summer. Uh, it's also the setting for my book, A Strange Little Place, and my stories tonight, uh, much like my life I suspect, begin <laughs> and end there. <laughs> dark. <laughs> it's it's that kind of place. Uh, the first story, which I picked at the beginning of the trip, has to do with what I think may be a screen memory. For those of you who don't know, a screen memory is a false memory someone has in place of their real memory of what happened. It's kind of a mental defense mechanism to prevent the ego from having to deal with whatever actually happened. Like how I remember being a sex god in high school. Yeah. In the modern context, the screen memory is frequently associated with the paranormal, usually alien abduction or contact E experiences. But it's a legitimate phenomenon with the roots in traditional psychology. Sigmund Freud actually wrote about screen memories. In one paper from 1899, he wrote about one of his own, in which he saw himself playing with other children in a very green meadow dotted by yellow flowers. And over time, therapy led him to a later memory from adolescence in which he was in love with a girl in a yellow dress. That seems like a strange thing to block out. I, I've had my share of unrequited love, but <laughs> not, none of those occasions have been psychically transmuted into me doing something else in my memory. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember in grade six or seven, there was this girl sitting ahead of me who, on whom I had a deep crush, and she was wearing a peach-colored bra. Oh, God. And maybe my psyche is sterner than Freud's, but I've never forgotten her in favor of a memory where I rub my face no. in. No, 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 just no. No one <laughs> who lives on earth now or in the future <laughs> wants to hear you finish that disgusting sentence, you pig. Right. Uh, five girl. Jesus. 
grade six or seven, and I was the same age at the time. Still gross. Judge not uh, glass houses. <laughs> uh, what would Jesus do? <laughs> keep keep going. We're we're all good. Uh, right. So usually the memory serves the person well enough because they have no reason to look more closely at the experience. But when they do, the memory doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Right. Uh, for example, in the book, The Messengers, Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee, author Mike Clellan relates stories about people who seem to remember encountering owls during periods where they have difficulty accounting for their time. Oh, wow. On closer probing, the, their memories don't make much sense, though. Uh, sometimes the owl is in a place where it shouldn't be, or it will be much, much larger than any owl is known to be. Hmm. Uh, come to think of it, actually, I'd love to have Cleland on here at some point in the coming months. Well, so this story that you have, do you think this is a contact E case, the the one you found? I'm no expert, obviously, but I, I don't think this is an alien experience or a trauma. Right. Uh, but not knowing much about either, it's hard for me to say with any authority. It's very much a gut feeling. So the story is, again, from Revelstoke, and I ran into someone while I was there who, who I'd spoken to a few times while writing my book. And they had pointed out one particular house uh, not far from Courthouse Square, which is a, a very, very densely haunted part of Revelstoke. Right. And they had said to me, that place is really haunted. I babysat there when I was a kid and I just spent the whole time being scared. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so I just thought, oh, it's a creepy story. But I was out for a walk with this person. We passed the house and I asked them why it was creepy. I asked them to elaborate. Yeah. And the more, the more we examined the memory, the more they realized it didn't make sense. So they were said, well, I, I was a kid and I was babysitting at the house and while the parents, I was babysitting the son while the parents were at a funeral. And I said, well, how did you know these people? And she stopped and went, you know, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how I got the job. I don't remember who the people were. I don't remember what the son's name was. I don't know why he couldn't have gone to the funeral. I don't know why he was at home and not at school. That's a lot of questions in and, terms of not knowing what's going on. Yeah. And, th and that's just a start because I said to her, what were you afraid of? And she said, I don't know, but. She said, I, I remember the son never came out of his room, but at the same time, I have a very, very vivid image of him looking up at me, hmm. a little blonde boy just wow. gazing up at me. But she says, I cannot recall when it was he came out of the room. There's, there's no memory of him coming out of the room. There's just this stray memory that doesn't fit of uh, him looking, uh, up, at looking her. up at her. Wow. Yeah. And, and when we fixed the, the timeline of the memory, she would have been at most eight or nine. Oh, wow. So she was being asked to, to babysit a kid, probably not much younger than herself. She probably needed babysitting herself. Yeah. And when we started to break down the setting, that's when I, I really, I felt something very, I felt like something was, was, was wrong. Yeah. Because she described the house as being completely silent, hmm. like pin drop silent. Hmm. She said there was no radio. There was no television. There wasn't even any outside noise. When I asked her if she'd seen a television- or a radio. She said there was a television directly across from the couch. And I said, okay, what kind of television was it? Do you, was it, how big was it? And she remembers what she recalls was about a, a 32 inch television. That would have been huge for 1969. Yeah. I don't think they even made them that big. That's my thought as well. Yeah. This would have been 1969 to 1970. <laughs> so again, you've got this sort of anachronistic hardware. Yeah. And the most telling part of it came when she described the weather. Outside, it was a beautiful sunny day. Right. It was bright and sunny, but yeah. she remembers inside, it looked like it was overcast. Mm. So inside felt like a rainy day. Outside was bright and sunny. So a lot of disconnects. A lot of disconnects. A lot of yeah. things that don't, just don't combine. This can just be perception. You can chalk this up to us, you know, imagining this. But 
as we stood on this corner staring at this house, what had been a, a really bright, clear spring night suddenly got very hard and dark. The quality of darkness changed mm-hmm. and everything yeah. just seemed heavier. Yikes. Like we were one step above where we had started. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, we just climbed up a little bit for, in terms of perception. Sounds like it's time to go. And it was time to go. <laughs> so we, we, we went back to, you know, where we started and, and that was the end of it. And now, of course, I mean, it could be anything, you know, it could be, it could just be that her memory's not great, but this woman, you know, I've known her a while, her memory's pretty solid. So I, I don't really know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I don't know that I've even heard of that before. So this place was, oh, this place is haunted. And yet was there, had she experienced anything like a haunting there? Or? No, there was just this, this sense of unease and discomfort yeah. and fright wow. that didn't seem to come from anywhere in particular. It seemed to just emanate from the place. And I, I told the story to someone else and they suggested that maybe this person was dreaming, mm-hmm. that this was just a dream, but never in the entire time I've known this person, have they ever said, oh, remember that time? And then gone, oh, wait, no, that was a dream. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know anyone who does that. No, most people don't. <laughs> uh, but so I, I don't know what it was. I mean, it did remind me of dreams I had when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I have had dreams where the inside is, it's like it's overcast. And outside is is bright. I've never had that. That's interesting that really have that. Yeah. Interestingly, the the experience I've talked about before on the elevator in Revelstoke. Yeah. It was very much like that. Hmm. Inside was was kind of overcast and disused. Right. But there was light outside. Wow. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know what happened there, if anything, but it it certainly is some food for thought. And I'm hoping to maybe explore that memory with a person when I go back uh, later this month. That's cool. Yeah. And then you had another story? Yeah. The next story I picked up while visiting family in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, For those of our listeners who don't know where or what an Edmonton is, (laughs) it's the capital city of the province of Alberta with a population of 1.3 million. Uh, The city is set amidst the plains and as such, the neighborhoods have spread out in an attempt to take over the surrounding space. (laughs) Uh, But instead they look exposed, like delicate things accidentally left in the path of giants. (laughs) It's known as the gateway of the North, probably because it's cheaper than Calgary was considered too direct. <laughs> well, when I, cause I was raised in Calgary, uh, I remember reading that it said, welcome to Edmonton gateway to the North. And I suggested that on Calgary, we put welcome to Calgary gateway to everywhere you'd actually want to go. But <laughs> apparently that wasn't in the budget or something, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of differences between Edmonton and Calgary. Edmonton is flat, barren, gray, big muddy river running through it. That's pretty much it and Calgary has you know mountains, a nice river, zoo, the stampede. No friendly people. Oh, Chinooks. I, I, if a Chinook took the place away, <laughs> le- as long as it left the people behind, I wouldn't feel we lost anything of substance. Oh, the only thing Calgary has going for it is lots of parking. Uh, <laughs> well, I and mean, not downtown. Downtown was hell. Yeah, no doubt. Da- I remember, yeah, you know what? Two summers ago, I went to uh, the museum. And it cost me more to park my damn car than it did to go to the museum. Pissed me off. I believe it. I, I went to downtown. I took a, a break from the bachelor party festivities because I'd had about as much gross stripper action as a man can handle. Wow, that's a lot. Coming from me, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, I, I just thought, I'm, you know what, I'm going to take a break. And I thought, maybe I'll go downtown. Yeah. Mistake. Really? Oh, no. After I paid a hojillion dollars to park my yeah. car, yeah. about... 1600 miles away from where I wanted to be. <laughs> I, it was just hot as hell. There's no tree, very little tree cover. And I found myself thinking, what am I doing? 
Why am I? This place sucks. Well, I mean, that's why they have the C train that goes everywhere. They really want to encourage people to use that. You know, I didn't even didn't even occur to me. Really, didn't even occur to oh, me. I wow. completely forgot about the train. Yeah, like you park at the mall and then hop on the train. You're downtown. That would have been so much better. <laughs> you know, my motel wasn't far from the mall either. Oh, funny. Oh well. Oh well. I'm never going. Learn. I'm never going back because that place sucks. Oh, ouch. No, right. I liked Edmonton though. I would live in Edmonton. Gross. No, it's so much. It's no, so much nicer. It's full of like refinery workers with no jobs who are licking bottoms of bottles to get a last thrill from the alcohol taste. It means you don't have to wash out your cans. <laughs> I remember driving through Edmonton and the rental market was so bad in terms of no one wanted to live there that they had signs on the sides of the buildings: "Rent one month, get two free, plus vacation to Hawaii." Like it was awful. <laughs> but I mean. On, to be fair, that's Alberta. When oil is up, the economy's up. When oil is down, there's no money. No one wants to be there. So, and I, I love how everyone blames us on the, the new NDP government. Oh, of as course. if it wasn't the previous ten years of a conservative government that forgot to in any way prepare. Oh, for the inevitable fall of oil prices. When we emigrated from England uh, in the late seventies, the oil was just running into a bump. I think during the eighties, it was really rough. And of course, they went through all the money they quote unquote saved yeah. um, and Calgary went into a huge slump. So it only just came up the last few years and now it's going down again. Oh, so. it did? I, I noticed because Calgary, it looks like a bunch of buildings randomly scattered when someone tripped carrying a connect set. <laughs> well, and it is way bigger than it was when I lived there 20 years ago. I mean, it is massive now. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I was in the one mall and I ordered some sushi yep. and- I thought, oh, I'll get a roll and some tempura. Oh, they got a couple pieces of dynamite roll. Right. So I got four pieces of dynamite roll. First off, it all came to $30. Oh. And I nearly crapped. Yeah. And then I got the sushi and they practically had to serve it using a backhoe. <laughs> I understood why they looked at me so funny when I ordered four pieces of dynamite roll. Oh, they gave you four dynamite roll. No, 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 no. The pieces were the size of a baby's head. Oh my God. With so much rice. Rice, rice, and, and like a third of an egg. So, you know. So, what you're saying is that a prairie town is not the best place to get sushi. Weirdly, weirdly, yes. Well, you learned that lesson, I guess. Well, you, I say this, you say that, and I agree. I think it's stupid. But the bachelor party that I was part of for dinner, they said, "Let's all go get sushi." And I said, "You guys know where the ocean is, right?" Yeah. Oh yeah, but it's expensive. Oh. Well, yeah, but so is cocaine. <laughs> Go do a couple lines of blow. It, it's, it's have just have the steak. Well, and to be fair, Alberta. I mean, I, I've noticed that living across the country. So, if you're in New Brunswick, someone invites you for dinner. Usually, have scallops. That's oh, okay. the thing they serve. Alberta, someone invites you for dinner, you're going to be having steak. Almost guaranteed. My cousin made me some steaks. They were lovely. There you go. You come here, you're going to get salmon. Like, it it really is, if you're in Toronto, they take you out for dinner. Like, (laughs) they would never have you in their home. So, I mean, that's kind of how. That's very New York of them. It is. But, I mean, that's kind of how it works. It's really interesting. So, in Alberta or Texas, same thing. They're known for beef. So that is weird. Uh, so when I was in Edmonton, I, of course, I caught up with some family I haven't seen in a while. And, and I, again, I quite like that. So you. But um, my, I went to go see my cousin who I, who I, you know, again, don't see very often. Mm-hmm. He took me to his house over in uh, Mill Woods. So we were sitting out in the backyard having some beers and we're joking about, I was about spooky stuff, you know, as it tends to come up with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? You're a spooky guy. Yeah, it's true enough. So we're, he, we're talking about this and he, he, his girlfriend starts elbowing him and she said, uh, tell him, tell him about the basement. And I said, uh, 
what about the basement? He kind of looks around and he cracks a beer and he says, well, and my cousin's a welder. He's a good guy, but he's yeah. not known for flights of fancy. No. He said, well, we were down there playing pool and this happened a little while ago. He said, I was going to make a shot and something in the dark grabbed the cue and jerked it back. Whoa. That wouldn't be cool. No. No. And uh, he told me a few other things, which I won't, I won't relate on air, but I just thought it's from the street. It's a, it's just a house in one of many boring suburban neighborhoods in, in Edmonton. Yeah. But there's this thing there. Wow. And you could feel it. I was going to say, did you feel something? I felt something. When I was walking through the house, uh, going out to the back at first, the living room was very dark. He had blankets over the windows. As one does. You know, yeah. <laughs> when you're very hungover and you don't want to deal with the world. Yeah, no, I, I, I've been there. But uh, I felt like there was something sitting in the far corner of the living room. Right. Looking right at me. Yikes. And I mean, going out back was fine. But I, and I almost asked to see the basement and I thought, no, I, that, that's, that's hassle I don't need. Really? But you were really like, yeah, no, I don't want to see it. No. No, oh, I wow. really didn't. I thought if, if whatever it is is that strong in you the living room. You don't want to mess with it. I don't want to mess no, with it. No, I get that. And, and like I said, I, I kind of think brushing up against a bunch of this stuff is is may have what weakened my immune system a bit. Yeah. As goofy as that sounds. No, no, I get it. But uh, yeah, so that, that was sort of my experience of, of Edmonton. And you, you have a ghost story from there, don't you? Yeah. Um, when I was living in Calgary, I heard a, a story about a house in Edmonton uh, near the Yellowhead Trail. Go on. A couple bought the house in the early 90s. The woman was divorced. She had two daughters from her previous marriage. Her eldest daughter, Jessica, was about 12 years old at the time. Both girls were frightened of the house. They felt nervous every time they went over for dinner. They always refused to stay overnight, though neither could explain exactly why they were so uncomfortable. On Jessica's 13th birthday, her mother and stepfather had a big birthday party for her in the backyard. Barbecue, games, the whole deal. It was a bright, sunny day. But every time one of the daughters had to go into the house for something, they would run as fast as they could because it felt like somebody was watching them. That night, however, the sisters finally agreed to sleep over, as long as they could share a bed. At the party, they were watching a movie, when suddenly from outside they heard a bang. Creeping outside to check, they saw the garbage can lid had fallen off, so they heaved a big sigh of relief, put the lid back on, and finished the movie. Finally, the two went to bed shutting the door all the way because it felt like someone was watching them again. Jessica woke in the middle of the night, though she still can't remember exactly why. Looking around the room, she saw the door was open, just a little. Then, as she watched, the door opened wider, and standing there was her mother, or at least she thought it was. Jessica called out, Mom? And her mom didn't move. It was then that Jessica realized she could see through the figure, and still... It wouldn't move. She woke her sister and whispered for her to look at the door. Her sister tried calling out to their mother as well, but with the same results. The two eventually got so scared, they both screamed out for their mother, and a few minutes later, their real mom came rushing in. When the girls asked their mother why she'd been standing staring at them, she explained she'd been asleep until they screamed. They told her they'd seen her. And she wasn't surprised at all. She said she had seen similar things, and if it happened again, they should just tell it to go away. Not good enough for me, I gotta say. When Jessica returned with a boyfriend seven years later, the same thing happened again with some unknown observer watching from both the bedroom door and this time the closet. 
Well, that's unnerving. Yeah, that's why I always close the closet doors when I go to bed. <laughs> oh yeah, no, same here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's not cool. No, I I, it, I mean, there was a bunch of places there where I thought, you know, maybe just stepdad is weird. But I guess that's not the issue. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's creepy. I can see why you'd think that. Did you ever, probably not, but did you ever see the old Ghostbusters cartoon with the boogeyman? No. Okay. <laughs> never, never mind. Uh, for those of you out there who who know what I'm talking about, it's very creepy. For those of you who don't, go check out the real Ghostbusters cartoon uh, to do with the boogeyman. Okay, there you go. Public yeah. service announcement. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that story, of course, taking place on the Yellowhead Highway serves as a great transition because that's where my journey took me next. Oh, so, wow, okay. Yeah, so we'll, uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little more about that. taking us through the stories collected on his most recent road trip across British Columbia and Alberta. When we last left off, he was setting out west on the Yellowhead Highway. I was indeed. I feel like I should make car noises. <laughs> brum, brum. <laughs> I drive a Toyota. It's pretty quiet. It's Yeah, it's pretty boring. Hey, take that shit back. I like my car. Well, you know, it's silver, which is just about the most boring color you can get, but I bet it's dependable, goddammit. It's dependable, and I've never had a speeding ticket. There you and go. I once passed a cop in Oregon while speeding, and- And he went, uh, no, he's in a silver car. Yeah, it's an old man. <laughs> he has important baby boomer business to be attended That's to. That's right. He has the environment to denude. <laughs> Anyway. Yes. Uh, the Yellowhead Highway is an almost 1,800-mile-long beast that stretches from Winnipeg, Manitoba to the to Masset on the BC Islands of Haida Gwaii. Uh, and I'd been to Jasper before, which is on the Yellowhead, mm-hmm. a couple hours west of Edmonton for a booze-fueled lost weekend about 15 years ago. <laughs> lost hours. Oh, man. You know, I, I drove through Jasper on this trip. I remember nothing. Nothing. Wow. I was so drunk. For That's s- not good. All I remember is my friend Aaron driving with a burger in one hand, his hand on the wheel, and the container of fries kind of dangling in his mouth. Classy. So when he wanted fries, he would tip his head back. Oh, my God. And slide some fries into his mouth. That sounds terrible. Yeah, you know, we all, I'm sure we skirted death a few times. Oh, yeah. Well, you do when you're that age. Yeah, yeah, that age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. No. For most of the trip, it was a lovely drive. You know, snowy peaks, green grass, uh, wide open road. But just past the Alberta border, south of Mount Caledonia, I noticed the horizon had taken on a strange color, like smoke and old blood. Uh-oh. Yeah. I finally rounded through Red Pass, and I could see what it was, and it was enormous plumes of smoke rising from behind what I think was Mount Chamberlain. That's not good. No. So I kept going. And eventually came to what looked like, uh, well, the road was about to go through a valley. Right. But the valley was full of smoke. Now, prior to this, I had been driving along the highway and I I could see fire up in the tree line. So I thought, oh, that's a great picture opportunity, you know, because I'm stupid. (laughs) Like most people, I'm so far removed from the possibility. Yeah, this has no implication on my life whatsoever. No, no, no. No. Let me just take a selfie. (laughs) I'm not going to be silver car barbecue anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing bad ever happened to the Toyota. <laughs> oh, except for all those people on that brake thing. But other than that. It was a learning experience. Yeah. <laughs> not for them. Well, they learned not to buy a Toyota, didn't they? <laughs> so I, I remember I pulled over, jumped out of the car, and I, I just had this, this, this flash of insight, and I thought, you know what? 
that fire is getting pretty close to the road. Mm-hmm. I probably should keep moving. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I know, right? Deductive reasoning. I'm a genius. You are Watson. <laughs> so I snapped a couple pictures really quick. Jumped back in the car, kept going, and then I hit this one part of the road where again I could see a valley ahead, but it was all full of smoke. Also, not a good sign. Not a good sign. And, and I, I genuinely didn't know what to do because at this point I was probably an hour or two out of Jasper. So the only way to go was forward or back. Right. So I, I pulled into a rest area just off the side of the road and there was a few other people, they were making the same judgment call. They right. were trying to figure yeah. out, do we, do, can we go through that? Can yeah. we? And finally we all kind of, without talking to each other, we just sort of convoyed up and we booked it. So it was sort of like, oh, well, there's no one in authority telling us not to, so it must be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'd like to think of it more as, you know, we're hard ass. Pioneer stock type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. And how bad can it be? You yeah. Just hold your breath. Yeah, you would have done well on the Oregon Trail. I, I thought so. Yeah. You have died of dysentery. <laughs> you ate your eldest child. <laughs> that was never on there, but I always thought it should be. <laughs> well, yeah. wow. Well, the Donners, you know, it happened. <laughs> I'm I'm sure the uh, the creators of Oregon Trail were were eager to create painstaking historical accuracy, <laughs> including the fate of the Donner Party. Well, you know, just saying. Anyway, please go on. Your world is a strange one. <laughs> so you're all cruising through the smoke, and we blow through the smoke, and uh, blow through the smoke. That sounds like an awesome album. That's right. It will be. It will be when you finally get around to writing a second one. <laughs> blow through the blow smoke. through the smoke. <laughs> You don't want to know what the cover-up looks like. Gross. Anyway. <laughs> so we drive through, and the fire is probably, it's its just up the tree line. It's not, its maybe about 20, 30, maybe about 30, 40 feet away. Holy. And blowing across the road are chunks of blackened wood, embers. See, rubber tires, embers, not a good combination. I, I mean, it was a very short valley. We got, came <laughs> out, <laughs> thankfully, we came out the other side. And there's nothing paranormal about this. It was just scary as hell. Yeah, that. it would be. Uh, so it, I had planned on turning right to go up to McBride and then Prince George, yeah. uh, because Anthony, actually one of our listeners, um, he was, uh, telling me that there is a park near Prince George, which has a very, very unique, uh, spiritual feel to it. Oh, cool. So I really wanted to check that out, but I, I thought, no, no, I'm going home. Good call. So I hung left. Good call. I ended up in the town of Valmont. Okay. Got a motel, went yep. to the nearby bar, started getting some wings and some burger action happening, <laughs> a couple beers. And then I noticed outside the storm was picking up. The wind was howling and the rain was just pounding down and there was lightning and there was thunder. Wow. And then the power went out. Oh, perfect. So the waitress whose ringtone was the opening riff to Back in Black (laughs) starts frantically trying to contact her kids who live up near Tejon where the wildfire is currently raging. Oh, perfect. To see whether or not they're okay. Yeah. And then we're trying to sort out how we can pay when there's no power and I don't have cash. Then she gets a phone call from someone else who tells her, you got to get home. You got to pack up the house. Oh my God. You got to be ready. Wow. Yeah. So it, it was uh, it was an adventure. So I went back to my room. My hotel room had one window at the front. Yeah. And so it got progressively darker to the back. <laughs> Thankfully, I keep a bunch of lights in my car. Don't ask why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you need enough to hit all the points on the pentagram so I can understand. <laughs> you understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Started to get comfortable in the bed, but I had this just inclination. I thought, you know, I I think we're going to get evacuated. 
Really? And we didn't. Okay. We didn't. But I I loaded up the car, put all my stuff in the car except for what I was wearing. Yeah. A couple other things. Slept in your clothes. Slept in my clothes. I would. Yeah. I would. Well, probably in the kind of places you stay, I'd sleep <laughs> in my clothes anyway. It's a very nice motel, actually. <laughs> I had a series of very nice motels. Excellent. Actually, the motel I stayed at in Edmonton, my cousin said, oh, you're staying at those dumps on Calgary Trail? Like, Yeah. It's nice. $75 a night. This is the nicest place I stayed in. That's pretty It sweet. was literally the size of this room. Yeah. Well, who cares? It's yeah, $75. No, you're sleeping in it. Whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. just me. Yeah. And, you know, the hookers. Oh, Jesus. My wife doesn't listen to this show. Yeah, I'm so pleased. <laughs> Poor woman. I'm just kidding. The room was much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> the power eventually came on just past midnight. I was asleep, but I, I woke up very, very quickly because everything had been on. When I'd left. Oh. So all of a sudden, just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the next morning, about seven, I just booked it. Yeah. And I eventually ended up back in Revelstoke, uh, where on the way home, which is where this final story comes from. So now we've talked a few times on previous episodes about missing 411 and, and things like this. Yeah. And of course, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, particularly the fourth book really spoke to me. The, bo- the book is called A Sobering Coincidence. It details the drowning deaths of young men across North America and Europe. Right. And the basic MO is these young men are seen out, seen, seen out drinking at a pub. They wander away from their friends. Yeah. Then they're not seen again until their bodies turn up in the river or the lake or whatever. Days, if not weeks or months later. Wow. That yeah. That is weird. It is weird. And... Um, the law enforcement law enforcement typically writes these off as accidental drownings because sure. booze plus water equals yeah. bye bye. Yeah. But the author of Missing Four One One he believes these are not just as with the other missing uh, dis- pardon me as with the other disappearances in his other books he believes these are not what the authorities believe they are. Right. And in that book he references another book called Case Studies in Drowning Forensics by Kevin Gannon and Dealey Gilbertson. Hmm. So I eventually got a copy of that book and they have a very, very in-depth study of 13 of these cases. Their conclusion is that it is not a serial killer. They believe there is a network of domestic terrorists, eight to 10 people per cell operating within North America and Western Europe, which is for some reason they do not understand. I was going to say to what end? They don't know. Oh, wow. But they, they believe they are abducting in some cases torturing, and then drowning these men on land and eventually dumping their bodies in the water. Wow. Yeah. And so, again, I'm endlessly fascinated by this. And while in Revelstoke, I was talking to um, to a fellow, and we were talking about drownings and drinking and all this stuff. Now, I hadn't started reading case studies yet. I was right. just talking about uh, mysterious drownings. Yeah. And he said, I almost had my own mysterious drowning. <laughs> and he kind of kept going. And we, we were drinking at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I asked him to elaborate and he said, oh, one time he said, I think I was depressed after the bar. He said, I think I, I walked to the river, j- I jumped off the train bridge and then I woke up in the water. Now the train bridge in Revelstoke is about 60 feet above the water. Holy cats. You don't do that by mistake. No. The other thing is the river, this is a Columbia river. Right. Now the Columbia river around Revelstoke is extraordinarily large. Yeah. Powerful. And full of eddies. Right. We are taught from childhood to stay away from that river. Of course. Every single one of us. Uh, In the Wendigo episode, Mm -hmm. we talked about Inuit children being told to keep away from the ice. Right. Well, for us, the river was our boogeyman. Yeah. So he somehow jumped in this water 
and then just swam out. Wow. From a, a height of about 60 feet. What? So I asked them, and this was another occasion where the memory started to fall apart when we started right. picking at it. Right. Because in his mind, he had done this after a night of drinking, probably bummed out. He was up there anyways. But then we started picking at the memory and he remembers, oh no, no, I came back sopping wet. And my friend said, where have you been? What are you doing? Why are you wet? And then he changed clothes and they went to the bar. Oh, whoa. So this happened early enough in the night that yeah. they could still go to the bar. Wow. And the party, the apartment where he was partying was downtown. The train bridge is, I looked, I believe it's about a two kilometer, two kilometer walk. Oh, wow. He doesn't remember seeing anyone or any cars the entire time. He has very fractured memory of it. Yeah. But he doesn't remember seeing anyone on the way there or on the way back. He has memory maybe of climbing up on the train bridge, but he doesn't remember jumping off it. He just remembers being on the train bridge. And then he remembers waking up as he's pulling himself up out of the water. That's really weird. It's extremely weird. Yeah. And he was really uncomfortable picking up this memory. It, I it, bet he was. Because again, he had filed it away. He'd yeah, filed, yeah, yeah. Filed it away as I got this drunk. This happened to me, got drunk, climbed the bridge, jumped off, and I survived. Yeah. And so that's where we left it. But yeah. it it raises a lot of questions. Absolutely. Because he just walked right out of the bar or right out of the apartment. Wow. He doesn't remember why. He doesn't remember why he walked to the train bridge. He doesn't remember walking back. Huh. And the thing is, I figured out it would be minimum an hour just to walk there and back. Right. Not in counting the, the amount of time it would have taken him to get up on the bridge, jump off the bridge. Yeah. Get out of the water, pull himself, climb up the embankment. Could he have done this? Absolutely. People do dumb shit when they're drunk all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Lord knows I have. Yeah. It doesn't add up in any logical sense. And the fact that his memory of it is as fractured as it is, it's, mm -hmm. it wasn't a blackout. No. Because he's had those and he knows what those are like. This was something else. Wow. So we no frame of reference for it. I don't know if it's anything similar to what Gannon and Gilbertson have been investigating in America. I don't know if it's something similar to what David Polites has been investigating with Missing 411. If it was just a drunk guy doing something dumb or if it was something else entirely different. Well, I wonder if any anyone who's listening right now has anything similar to that. Because that would be really interesting if you think you have a memory you're not sure about. I mean, you know, maybe look at it again and, and let us know. Because there's definitely a common thread here. Absolutely. Yeah, you can always reach us at uh, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Well, that's really going to bring it to an end for us tonight. Wanted to say hi to Zach Power, who's listening right now in a haunted house right close to a very creepy graveyard. And I, <laughs> I hope he has enjoyed this episode. Hi, Zach. <laughs> uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we'd love to uh, get a nice five stars on there. we got a couple reviews already, so thank you to the people who've done it. Excellent. Of course, we're on um, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on, again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find me at Largely the Truth. For me, it's Ghost Story Guy, and uh, I'm on Facebook as well and uh, Twitter, but yeah, I never look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And your book is is on the BC bestseller list, is it not? Shockingly, yes. That's fantastic. I, uh, I got the word this week that um, it's number 12 of 15. So Sweet. I'm pretty excited to even crack the list, to be honest with you. And that's after, what, a week or two weeks two of weeks. sales? Two yeah, weeks. so that's... Yeah, no, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I saw your book on the ferry. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. If, if you are from Victoria, you know that if you have a book on BC ferries, that's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bastards wouldn't take my book, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. Take that for what you will. All right. Well, if you happen to be in Victoria this uh, sometime this month, Fair Ian here is leading a number of the ghost walks. I am. And in July and in August. So there you go. Come on down and see us. Forcing poor Brand to take on even more work <laughs> like the handsome young slave he is. I thought you were going to say something else. I'm so yeah. glad you didn't say that. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. We'll leave that to Bill Maher. Perfect. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again in two weeks. And well, actually, it'll be a little bit less than two weeks. This was staggered because I was sick. So our next episode should be about a week Tuesday. Till then, uh, take care and be good to one another. That f-ing furnace. You can't really hear it through the mic. You can kind of hear it. Not really. Ugh. Just grow up. Let's go. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, hang on. I'm going to turn on the noise gate. Dick. <laughs> Open a new window, you son of a bitch. There we go.